0: Hello, everyone. You are listening to an encore presentation of the Word in the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. We will be back live with a brand new episode next week. And until then, keep us in your prayers.
1: You're drowned by my perfect fire.
0: My perfect life. Hello, everybody. Hi. <laughs> we're the Lanky Guys. We are the Lanky Guys. Welcome to the Word on the Hill. This uh, is uh, this is us. And, hey, us, and that's Scott Powell, and that we
1: is Father Peter a And uh, we had to do this a couple times to actually get to we this. We did point. it one time.
0: Well, <laughs> you just
1: <laughs> turned me down again. I,
0: you were a little, Dude, you were <laughs> <laughs> I just think it, it's you're. I'm still down. Why oh, did here. you turn me down? I turn me back. I'm up. just trying. Trying to make everything clean. <laughs> uh, there we go. Are you happy now?
1: Okay, I'm, uh, almost. Uh, I, oh, there we are. You give me we control
0: go. of all the tech side
1: of this. Yeah, that's really that's funny. your fault. That's on you. You guys, this is a podcast where weekly we go through the daily readings. Nope, not even close. <laughs>
0: <laughs> where, that's a different podcast. Where
1: weekly we go through the Sunday readings. Ah, there you go. And we find the interior cohesion of what wow. they are saying.
0: Interior. Is interior, interior, oh, interior.
1: <laughs> well, today
0: <laughs> it's pink Sunday. <laughs> it's rose, rose. <laughs> Some you just rose. held back from calling me a mean name, didn't you? No, I, I didn't. Could see no, no, no. It's I just, rose blank.
1: So today we our first reading.
0: So it's the third Sunday of Advent. Oh yeah, yeah. Also, also known as Gaudete Sunday, which means rejoice, rejoice. That's right. Gow Which is why day you wear to t- Sunday, t- Sunday. Sunday, t- Sunday. <laughs> is guess. this what it feels like to
1: be with your kids when oh, you start singing on, man, and then they just awesome. like interrupt you with the Sundays?
0: You're <laughs> mocking me for interrupting?
1: Dude, if this podcast, this today the podcast might actually boil down to Scott and I wrestling.
0: <laughs> oh shoot, is there a
1: tension between us? No, there's no tensions. Except for you keep interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm some I'm done. <laughs> Okay, that's good. Um, I'm gonna interrupt you because I want to see if I want to see if I can push you to the edge to where you'll finally wrestle me. No, can, I'm happy. Can, I'm can, at peace. Does anybody ever do that? Can anybody do that to you? What, like, annoy you enough to where you just like want to wrestle them? Yeah. Have you done it?
0: Well, on that happy note, it's Rejoice Sunday, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is where you you do wear rose. So we break from the sort of. So if you, you guys know this. If you have an Advent candle, there's three purple candles and then one rose one or pink one. Yeah, um, to show that even though you know people forget that Advent is a penitential season because the decorations have been up since September, and and At least and in Home the, Depot and, they have, and all of
1: the uh, Christmas songs are like rocking,
0: rocking round the Advent tree, and the Advent party hop. <laughs> um, so this is, but, but we have Advent, the... Equi-
1: Advent party hop? That's what I said. Dude, that was uh, that was epic. Thanks, man. I have to give you your props on and that. And we
0: have an equivalent in uh, in Lent as well, which is called da- Lautare. Well, y'all,
1: the first reading today um, comes from Isaiah 61. <coughs> yes, indeed. Verses 1 to 2a, mm. and then we have a
0: big leap. Jumpity jump, jump. To 10 and 11.
1: Yeah, just those two.
0: Uh, yeah. And then our Everything alright? Yeah, yeah. I okay, was sorry. I was just trying
1: to silence myself.
0: No, you shouldn't. You're good. Uh, now here's we have an anomaly this week. A, a big little, little bit of a weird, weird, a little weirdly, weirdy, weirdy, weird. Um, our responsorial psalm is not from a psalm whatsoever. Oh, actually, there's layers of weirdness to this. So our sponsorial psalm is actually from Luke, and it is actually the words of the Magnificat that Mary sings. So it's a hymn that Mary sings. But to add on the weirdness that the responsorial psalm is from Luke, the actual responsorial is from Isaiah, which
1: is totally wild, man. I was studying, it's crazy. and I need your help this week, Scott. Oh, Uh-oh. okay. Because like I was like I, I man I was like trying to like get this thing understood in my brain okay, and like say best. some stuff. I've got some insights, but I've got no connections. Yet. I'm gonna
0: do my best. Do it. I might be in the same boat. I have insights, but not necessarily connections. So what uh, okay. So what? what verses so, I'm are, sorry. Are,
1: are the uh, yeah, Magnificat yeah. Psalm? So
0: Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 48, 49 through 50, and then 53 through 54. And again, the response oil itself is Isaiah 61, verse 10b, which is cray.
1: Yeah, that's so cray. And then our second reading is 1 <clears throat> Thessalonians. Yep. 1 Thessalonians Very good. 5, 16
0: to 24. Okay, 5. Uh, and our gospel comes from John. John chapter one verses six through eight and then jumping all the way to nineteen through twenty eight. Did you read the intermeeting
1: intermeaning? You better verse believe of I, I did. <coughs> so Isaiah, we Isaiah are we are in um in uh, the second half of Isaiah, which so is the deutero Isaiah, which is also the book of consolation. Yeah. And uh 60, 61st chapter. Um, What's really interesting is the spirit of the Lord is uh, upon me, uh, which is what Jesus is read from when he stands up to proclaim in the synagogue that he's totally the man.
0: Yeah. So it's in Luke four, which is the first public. It's the first public thing Jesus does in the gospel of Luke. Oh, here's something kind of cool. Here's a fun fact. If you want to know the so, you know, all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they're all essentially telling the same story. Right. They're all telling the story of Jesus Christ, his birth his ministry, his passion, his resurrection, right? The Evangelion. The Evangelion that we discussed last week. But they all have to do it from slightly different perspectives. So they're not all the same, right? They're different. And it's not that they're contradictory. There's nothing that contradicts one gospel to another, but they all have their unique um, points of view. And so they're going to highlight different things, and they're going to stress different parts about Jesus' ministry. So here's the deal. if here, Here's your key to reading the four gospels. Okay. If you want to know... What major theme that each of the gospel writers wants to stress to you and wants you to remember? Yeah, you have to pay attention to the first public thing Jesus does in each of them. Oh, and that cool. will give you the theme. Oh, I don't okay. know if we've talked about this before. No, we? no, this is a new. <clears throat> this is a new concept. So, do you remember what the first public thing Jesus does in Matthew is? The first big public thing. So, not this baptism. That's sort of a private deal. Um, no, I don't. It's I don't. the Sermon on the Mount. I. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot. That was a, that was a tricky thing to do. No, 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 that's fine. I, I, it's Actually, it's a good mind exercise. It's and- kind of fun. So the first public thing that he does, you know, with ministry, is the the Sermon on the Mount. So he goes, stands up and gives this sermon. Now, the whole theme for Matthew is going to be the teaching gospel. It's the gospel with the most catechesis, and the fathers actually called it the catechetical gospel because you get more of the content of Jesus' teaching, the what of what he teaches, in Matthew than any other gospel. So the other Gospels will often say things like, well, as Jesus was teaching, this thing happened. Or while Jesus was speaking, this thing happened. But Matthew gives you all of the things that he spoke and taught. Nice. So it's the, it's the teaching gospel, right?
1: Yeah, which is funny. Father Brady is, was, was studying account be, uh, to be an accountant. Yeah. And April 15th, what day is that? Tax day. Yeah, and he heard his call to the priesthood on tax day oh! while he was an accountant in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. I know, I just I just thought that that was funny. I and I think of the gospel of Matthew. And, and he is actually deeply concerned with teaching, which is really beautiful. Well,
0: it actually makes sense because if he's a tax collector, which means he's basically an accountant, He's very neat and ordered. So he'll structure all, these are all the teachings from this. These are all the things Jesus says about this thing. Here's all the things he says about this. He gathers and he collects and he sorts, Yeah, which is what the Gospel of Matthew is. So it's also why traditionally it's been considered the first gospel, because it's the what. So you have to understand what Jesus teaches and who he is before you can do anything else. So we actually have the most copies, the most ancient manuscripts of Matthew, more by far more than any of the other ones, because it was the most widespread. It was the first catechism. Okay? So, okay. Mark, anyone? do you remember what the first thing Jesus does in Mark is? No. It's an exorcism. So, the first public thing you see Jesus doing is casting out a demon. He does it really, really on in chapter one. Which gives you the theme for the Gospel of Mark, right? It's going to be this action gospel. Tim Gray called it the Hollywood gospel, right? He's always casting out demons. He's fighting evil. He's fighting with storms and weather and stuff. So it's the conflict gospel in a certain sense, right? Wow, okay. So you get the theme immediately because Jesus is going to battle. He's fighting demons and he's casting them out. Yeah. Which is going to be the theme for the rest of the gospel. Jumping. John. Do you remember the first public thing he does in John. No, I don't. It's the wedding feast at Cana. Cana.
1: Okay, yeah, that's first of the signs because it's, book it's of the signs. first of the
0: signs. Yeah, and and everything that Jesus does has marital imagery. It's all bridegroom imagery for the rest of the book. That's what John wants to kind of bring out: wedding feasts and stuff. So it, it, it gives you an insight into what John's thinking about. Yeah. Now here's the most difficult one. We've saved the best blast. What's the first thing Jesus does publicly in Luke? He stands up and he proclaims Isaiah 61 in the synagogue. He reads this. So what, and we've talked about this before, what is this reference to? Do you, know, do you remember? No. I mean, there's lots going on. It's in the book of comfort. It's speaking about what is to come. Um, You know, some people have read this in terms of what are called the servant songs. So maybe Isaiah is uh, probably on some level applying this to himself. The Spirit of God is upon me, Isaiah, because he's anointed me to go and bring glad tidings to the poor and the brokenhearted and to be this messenger. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Mm -hmm. But it's also a reference to something because what it says at the end, um, proclaiming liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners and to announce a year of favor from the Lord. So what's a year of favor? A jubilee year. Yeah, the jubilee year. So there's this ancient tradition of the jubilee year, which you really get the sense in in all of the Old Testament that the Jewish people don't really follow this. But there was this command early on in the book of Leviticus when they were still at Sinai after they came out of Egypt that uh, every seven years they were to have what's called the Sabbath year. And on the Sabbath year they were to do three things. They were to release or set at liberty um, all debt, all slaves, and give back any land that had been lost, right? So if you had any debt, credit card debt, mortgage, it's all forgiven that year. If you are a slave, for one reason or another, you're set free. And if you've lost your ancestral land, you get it back, which is a pretty good deal. And it's also the year that you let everything lie fallow, right? That's every seven years, every seven times seven years on the 49th year, you have a Jubilee year, which is like the big amped up on steroids version of the Sabbath year where you're off work for two years, you really, really release all the debt. You know, you, you really focus on this and set all the slaves free and the year of captivity, right? So ironically, and so on a certain level, that's what Isaiah is speaking about. So if we're in the middle of the story, what we know is that Isaiah is speaking comfort now to an Israel that's been afflicted. They've yeah. broken the covenant. They've sinned grievously. They're losing their nation. They're going to have it stripped away by the Babylonians. They're going to be slaves and indebted and lose their land which is exactly what happened in the Exodus. They were slaves, they were in debt, and they lost their land. So in the midst of the people who are about to lose all of their land, become enslaved, and become huge debtors big time politically, there's this message about a year of release and a jubilee year that's coming on the horizon. And Isaiah says he's basically the herald of that. And then it goes on, you jump ahead, and he talks about rejoicing hardly because the the uh, God is the joy of my soul. He's clothed me with the robe of salvation, wrapped me in the mantle. That's actually baptismal language, being clothed in the garments of glory, right? Which is interesting because those words are going to be put into the mouth of John the Baptist later on. So this baptismal imagery thing. Um, but anyway, here, here's the kicker. What Isaiah is essentially pointing ahead to, is this year of release. I mean, Isaiah surely has to know that that's not all happening with him. He is the suffering servant in a certain level. The Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He is anointed to go and preach these things, the the Evangelion, to the poor. But there is going to come this year. And so when Jesus stands up in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke chapter 4 and says these words and then closes the scroll, Uh sits down, he's like, today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. I, I imagine everybody in that room would have fallen off their seats because they're like, wait a second, you're proclaiming the Jubilee year. No one has done that for hundreds and hundreds of years since the time of Jeremiah. Really? It's the last recorded Jubilee year. It's in Jeremiah 35. And it actually says it's because of this ill-fated Jubilee year in Jeremiah that they go into the exile. It's actually, this is a side note, I didn't plan on talking about this, but in Jeremiah, I think it's chapter 35 or 25 maybe. Anyway... um. It's, it's the end of the line. It's the end of the prophetic story. They've been warning Israel. They say, turn back. They haven't turned back deep in sin. And now Babylon is literally knocking down the doors. The kings are flipping out. And King Zedekiah, I believe, says basically looks back over Israel's past and he's like, wait a second. There's this jubilee year and we haven't ever done it in the past. We've totally dropped the ball. Maybe... If we proclaim a really fast jubilee year and set free all the slaves and release all the debt, maybe God will have mercy on us, and in this mm. last-ditch effort, we can save the nation. Wow. So he declares a jubilee year. And it says, it makes it clear, it's the first time in decades, centuries, that this has happened. Yeah. He declares a jubilee year, but then it says everyone got kind of sick of doing their own work and not having slaves, and they didn't really want to give up the debt. So even though they made a covenant and they released all of their slaves and set them everybody free— it says then the people in Jerusalem took back their slaves. They Ooh. said, no, we're sick of this. We want you back. Ooh. And they go out and they capture them and they retake them into captivity. Yeesh. And it's at that moment that God steps through Jeremiah and says, wait, wait, wait. Not performing the Jubilee year is one thing. Not be, you know, breaking the covenant, doing all these things. That's one thing. Proclaiming a Jubilee year, making a covenant to me, and then going back on your word and taking back the slaves it, it tells me, says God, that you don't understand that I set you free from captivity, that I gave you this land, and that you were freed from your debt because of what I've done. So if you don't understand that, he says, I now release you to the sword and to captivity. And because you don't understand what I've done for you, you're going to go back into slavery for a real long time because you obviously don't get it. It was literally a bad jubilee year that broke the camel's back. Wow. So when Jesus says these words in the synagogue in Nazareth, no one's heard these terms since Zedekiah. And since the nation tanked and was put into slavery. And the problem with all this is, of course, number one, only a king can proclaim a jubilee year. So Jesus does it. Yeah. And number two, what's a jubilee year? It's the year that you give back land, that you release debt and you give back your slaves. Well, the problem in Jesus' time is that they don't really have any land. It's controlled by Rome. They're in political and, and economic debt to the Romans, and they're all slaves. So how do you give back land, debt, and slaves when you don't have any land? You're in debt and you're slaves yourself. Which is Luke beginning to tell you the story of that Jesus' release is something totally different. Yeah. And it has to do with being gar- uh, clothed in a mantle of salvation and glory in a way that nobody ever dreamed that it was actually going to be. Yeah. So that's our setup, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's my that question. That was a lot.
0: Yeah, no, that was, was beautiful. It was
1: such a cool summary. The uh, ha- Has anybody postulated that Jesus' ministry was only two years because he would have been following the grand jubilee rather than the three years? Mm-hmm. I mean, just as you're talking, I'm like, I'm, not that I've ever heard because because I've always, I mean, there's it's kind of popular opinion that Jesus's ministry was a three-year-long period. Yeah, um, but I don't know where that comes from or why, and and like I'm wondering if somehow Christ is is actually living out the Jubilee. Now we may have actually a three-year ministry because it's it, we have seven times seventy because it's been really four hundred and eighty years, and so we have the kind of the grand. I mean you know there there are no superlatives so you have good so you have the good one which is one year the better one which is two years and probably the best one which is three years so it's the maybe his three year ministry is actually the grand jubilee and that's actually where we're ending up and and we're celebrating actually in some sense the hidden beginnings
0: of this in this Gaudete I, I don't know interesting interesting let's let's dig into that
1: yeah and well and this is this is cool i mean gaudete sunday i mean part of the reason why we have the big jump um in isaiah uh to the 10th verse is i will greatly rejoice in the lord which is um which is just really it's just good it's just remember like i always like that the the church as as we've like finished halfway so when we reach halfway point we always have this kind of moment of rejoicing like yeah like let's celebrate the fact that we've we've kept going and that like this jubilee is Mm like like the anticipation of the, of cuz jubilee is eschatological it's it's <clears throat> it's actually leading us towards what the final realities will be yes which is a recovery of land inheriting the earth yeah. you know uh the, uh, uh the totaling set free from slavery to sin so, and um and then what was the third one
0: uh land debt and slaves Debt, and then we and have, we have, we ain't got no more debt. We've been set free from the debt. Ain't got no debt, which I think is a great segue into the responsorial, which you already started into. I didn't mean to. No, i but but it's perfect because again, this is coming from Mary's Magnificat. Well, but again, the responsorial is is actually borrowed from Isaiah sixty-one. My soul rejoices in the Lord, which is what Mary is quoting. At the beginning of her, her Magnificat, my soul rejoices in my God. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked upon his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, etc., etc. Now, here's the thing. What Mary's doing in this Magnificat, and this is what blows scholars away, again, for a, what, 13-something-year-old girl, what she's doing in this hymn is um, she's—, she's retelling the story of salvation history and saying everything that Israel has hoped and longed for is being fulfilled in my person. So she actually stands as representative of that moment of the nation of Israel, which foretold way back in the time of Isaiah was going to proclaim the greatness of the Lord, being be looked on as his lowly servant from this day, be called blessed by all generations. She, her, her very person embodies what Israel has now become. Mm. The one who was lowly has been lifted up. What I love about the Magnificat is it it's a hymn of ironic reversals, right? Yes. The lowlier being raised up. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. He's come to the help of his servant Israel. He's remembered his promise of mercy. When did he make a promise of mercy? Well, one of the places in Isaiah 61, when he said, I will come and set you free with a year of release, this jubilee year. She mm. says, that's happened yeah. to all of Israel through me. And she actually stands, again, as representative of the whole nation. Nothing she says in the Magnificat, I think, makes sense without the backstory of salvation history and what Isaiah is saying is going to happen, which means Mary, I think, knew Isaiah very, very well because she's saying, yep. All of this is happening right now. Well, one of the things I mean, we
1: just had the feast of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, and, just what two days ago? Yeah, just a couple days ago. And, and and one of the, the which is celebrating the fact that me Marie, uh, with which <laughs> Mary is set free from original sin. Yeah, and and uh, from the prayer before <clears throat> study that St Thomas Aquinas has, we knows that the we know that the effect of original sin is a twofold darkening of the intellect and of the will. Hmm. And so normally we focus on the fact that she's free from sin and that that her will is entirely free to choose good. But we don't often focus on the fact that her intellect was entirely pure, that she had no
0: taint in her intellect, that she grasped things. Wow. Perfectly. Wow. Which is crazy because nobody else gets this. I mean, you know, you can go through the beginning of the Gospels. You have like four people who get this, you know, I mean— yeah. All the prophecies are there. All of this stuff is crystal clear because of Daniel, which we can talk about another time. Everyone knew kind of the years that this was going to happen. Everyone was waiting and watching for it. And who recognized the Messiah? Well, three wise men from, you know, probably Babylon, this 13-year-old girl, Joseph, but he takes a little that takes a little persuading to get him on board. <laughs> yeah. And some shepherds, and then this old man um, prophet named Simeon in the temple. They get it. Who else gets it? Nobody. It's left. It's left dark. Everyone's eyes are darkened to this. Nobody realizes that the answer and the fulfillment of every one of their prophecies and all of their history is taking place under their nose, and nobody sees it. Yeah. Which is fast. It's just fascinating. It's the way God works, right? Yeah. And who sees it? Well, only the lowly, only the forgotten, the ignored, the shepherds, the you know, this 13-year-old peasant girl. Yeah. Simeon, who probably people just look at and scoff at, you know, when they see him, this old man sitting out in front of the temple speaking his gibberish, he gets it. Everybody gets it. Well, not everybody gets it. A couple people get it. Yeah. I don't know who Simeon is. Maybe he was well respected. I'm not sure. I don't
1: know, but he had the promise. Yeah. I mean, obviously he knew that he was going to be able to see the
0: Messiah before he died and he believed it. It's kind of cool. I mean, think about this. So Mary sees this. She's got this light of her intellect. She gets it. Yeah. There's that moment, though, where she does go to the temple. She's presented, She presents Jesus. Simeon, the prophet, holds Jesus. And like, now I can go die because I've held the fulfillment of everything. And what does Mary do? She says nothing and she goes home. She's like, okay. <laughs> I mean, imagine if yeah. you were just told that what you are holding is the fulfillment of all of human history. Then what do you do with? It? I mean, I want to tell everybody I knew. I'd want to go tell everybody, do a podcast about it. You know, look at how great I am. But what does Mary do? She she goes home and she sits in obscurity for thirty years.
1: Yeah, you know, it's that's this that's really profound. Our, our emotions are connected to our thoughts. Mm. So uh, the the way in which I'm feeling is going to is gonna have a very real connection to how I'm thinking. Mm. So Mary's emotions, her emotional life is a pure emotional life she actually feels everything that she is meant to feel because mm-hmm. her mind mm-hmm. and her intellect is clear and sees things truly so as 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 she encounters that she was probably welled up with tremendous emotion
0: yes oh i uh, she had of, been.
1: i mean and like so when she says i my spirit rejoices in god my savior her rejoicing is like like pure unadulterated awesomeness and her sorrow is is absolutely um intense like nothing we can imagine nothing and we that's can imagine that's where it like i mean well i guess we can imagine because we do have true emotions yeah we can imagine and, and but yeah. our thoughts need need clarity and so that's really like so as simeon grasps this little one and i mean like talk about jubilee and realizing the consequences and seeing down the line and having yeah. the beatific vision and like yeah. I mean gosh I mean this is that's the goods no wonder, wonder no wonder we good. say this absolutely every day in in the liturgy of the hours
0: totally yeah gosh that's cool gosh that's cool thanks scott that's the best which does i think lead us to the second reading which is a tricky one to try to tie in i think Thessalonica 1st so, Thessalonians 5 the end of 1st Thessalonians is almost the last words. Brothers and sisters rejoice always i mean there's the simple face level of rejoice it's gaudete santi rejoice always pray without ceasing in all circumstances give thanks for this is the will of God for you in Jesus Christ do not quench the spirit do not despise prophetic utterances test everything retain what is good refrain from every kind of evil do not despise prophetic utterances test everything and retain what is good all the readings we've seen so far are prophetic utterances. I mean, I hear Isaiah. Oh, Ooh, I, mean, I see why you're bringing it together. Uh, yeah, but what do they do with Isaiah? They despised his prophetic utterances. Oof. What do they do with Jeremiah? They pr- despised his prophetic utterances. What do they do with Mary? They ignored her prophetic utterances. What does Mary do with Simeon's prophetic utterances? She takes it. She tests it. She retains it. Remember, it actually says she held these things in her heart. That's yeah. exactly what Thessalonians is saying. Take yeah. them, uh, what does it say? Retain what is good. Hold them in your heart. They're, you know, I, what we talked about at the very beginning, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he proclaims this Jubilee year, at the very beginning everyone's like, oh, this is really neat. What a great message. And then you get the sense that they have a chance to think about it a little bit. <laughs> They're like, wait a minute. We know you. You grew up here. We were on your football team. You know, who do you, who do you think you are saying you're going to do all these things? And they actually begin to despise him. And it's where you get that passage a prophet is not accepted in his own town. We are called to something different and we're called. So why are they despising Jesus? Why are they despising Isaiah? Why are they ignoring Mary? Because they're proclaiming there's the common thread and I think we share it. They're proclaiming something that looks like the exact opposite of what our experience is. So how do we dare sit here, you know, and, and again, what, how does Thessalonians end? It, it says, may the God of peace make you, make you perfect and holy and, and make you entirely spirit, soul, and body be preserved and blameless for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In Advent, we remember Jesus coming and we look forward to him coming again. There are prophecies for us that say, look, this is happening. Mm, it's happening yeah. in our midst. It's happening as we speak. We are being transformed, yeah, right, absolutely. by the renewal of our minds. We're becoming new creations. But those of us who have the, the guts to be prophets and actually proclaim that that's taking place will often be scoffed at or mocked or ignored or despised because either you guys live in this antiquated, you know, foolish world bigoted religion or whatever it is, or you're just this kind of pie in the sky, the world's a hard place. Look, the world's dark, the world's sinful, the world's rough. Who do you guys think you are? You're just a bunch of escapists. You know, you got your Jesus Christ and you cling to that. I mean, the Christian message is despised for all sorts of different reasons. Yeah, it is. Do we hang on to the hope that, no, Jesus is coming in the midst of all of this mess. He's actually coming as we speak. And if we speak that, it needs to be tested we need to test that by, by real witnesses, which is our segue into John. Yeah. Um, well,
1: well done. I, I agree. You have to test that through the authentic, um, expression, the testimony the, of witnesses. Cause, cause I mean, this is one of the things where like Scott and I had a big debate about uh, our, our whole, the nature of our, our recording and what we're doing just because we recognize that the gospel always comes incarnate it comes mm. in flesh and like if if somebody's going it, it's not like you just happen upon the book and then it it's it's illuminating no there's like a there is a believing yeah. community there is something very real and so we had to get kind of really clear that we could be um, incarnate and in the flesh to be able to share the gospel through this recorded medium. Yes, and 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 when we uh, when we finally v- said yes, it is possible to actually have this incarnate, and and we've experienced that mm-hmm. through through the. Um, through our relationship with you, I mean, I, I've there's huh. a lot of you who have actually come to St. Thomas and Absolutely. have come to Mass and it's introduced yourselves, and it's been it's like such a blessing. You don't yeah. even know how wonderful it is to meet you and and like and to be able. I, I'm just so thankful that we get to share a moment yes. of, of scripture and conversion um, in the midst of this, but, yes. it, but it, it comes in with witnesses. It's it, the testimony of those who believe is literally how this happens. It's, yes. it's we're not a people of the book. In that in that in that sense, we right. are, but it's it's not isolated. The book is not isolated, it always comes incarnate with people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which again, this is exactly where our gospel is headed today. Yeah. Am I right? Are you right? You are right. This is another one that splits and jumps, and I think there's actually good reason for it. So I just wanna we'll see if this ends up making any sense. So the way that John works, this is this is part of the prologue. Of John, right? Okay. Um let's see. I had a bunch of I have a bunch of notes here. Like a nerd with my paper that you always make fun of. Dude. But like it's in a three ring binder today. Dude. So I, you can't make fun of me for dropping it.
1: I know, dude. Yeah. I always try to take pictures of you dropping it in. Come and on, everything man. everything looked ordered. I even tried to take videos because I thought it was awesome. We're gonna we're gonna do a we're gonna do a, a documentary on on the lanky guys here in uh, <laughs> our whole process. Like we're gonna have a camera mo-
0: a mockumentary. If,
1: follow us through the day and what does it look like to get to the that podcast? That would
0: be a strange podcast. We should do it.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I you know what? I want my part in the the mockumentary
0: to be. You don't get to pick your part. You're you. I know. But it's, that's what, it's a documentary.
1: I want my whole segment of how I get to the podcast oh, is geez. me not being able to get out of bed and all. It, I want it to be all be in dream sequence.
0: Oh jeez, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> all right, this is a conversation for another time. <laughs> so, um, this is part of the what's called the prologue of John, right? Okay. So, uh, John's gospel begins. This is beautiful beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, you know. All yeah. these things. Um, Totes. There's this imagery in the prologue of John uh, about light and darkness, right? There's light and dark. There's this weird segue, though, about midway through that talks about this guy named John. That's where we enter into it. So as we're talking about um, the beginning being the Word and the Word was with God, but the Word was rejected and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, but the world could not comprehend and all these things. Then all of a sudden, oh, by the way, there was a man named John <laughs> sent by God. He came for testimony, to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. So why do we have this break and go to John the Baptist? Well, for one thing, there was actually some who believed that John the Baptist was the light. So part of what John the Apostle, the Gospel writer, is doing— is giving an apologetic and clarifying that, hey, by the way, John the Baptist is actually not, like, there, there's a, do you remember this? It's in Acts 19, where there were a bunch of people in the city of Ephesus who believed that, John, they, they were, remember the, the apostles go there and they're like, hey, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. We were baptized to John because we thought he was the one, right? Yeah. We didn't even know there was such a thing as a Holy Spirit. There are people in Ephesus, at least, who are worshiping John the Baptist as though he was the light. Now, where is John the apostle bishop of?
1: Uh, John the Ap- I I, I uh, guy Ephesus Ephesus yeah yeah
0: so was it any surprise just putting it in context that we know there's this problem in Ephesus of people thinking John the Baptist was the light now John who's writing his gospel is clarifying to his congregation maybe that no John the Baptist actually was I just think it's an interesting little uh, oh that's cool I like
1: I, I that there's a there's a pastoral there's a
0: pastoral application to this yeah seemingly kind of esoteric prologue. It's kind of cool. That's it's, a side note. It's very cool. But um, but here's the idea. The, the idea is that John is very important. He was sent by God. He's given this divine missi- m- uh, mission. He's using prophetic language. We've talked about prophets and prophecies all day, right? So according to John's gospel, the mission of John is not to baptize, it's actually to bear witness to the light. He baptizes as well, but that's not really the primary vocation. And this theme of bearing witness, I think, is is incredibly important in the gospel of John, to be a witness Yes. And to testify, do you remember the Greek word for witness is? Oh, uh, martyre, martyr, martyria. Yeah, martyria. It's, it's to be a martyr. So, um, but think about this. Take take this a step back. He says he came for testimony to give a testimony. Where do you give testimony? Um, you give testimony in the synagogue. Just thinking impractical. Yeah, I'm thinking. If I'm just asking you. Hey, where would I give a te- where would I give testimony typically?
1: Oh, I don't. Um, in church. You're thinking like a Southern Baptist. uh, um, Where do I give testimony
0: in your daily life? You give it in law court, in a a court, right? Oh, shoot. Yeah, I'm— It's a legal term. You're right. You're thinking in spiritual—I mean, you're thinking about it spiritually, which is a good thing. But in a secular way, it's just just a legal term. Yeah, it is. Where do you call people to give testimony in court? What's going on? So basically, um, the fourth gospel is very concerned with rendering the truth. It's entering us into a law case. And what it's doing is actually precisely what Thessalonians said. Here's testimony. Test the testimony. Don't despise these prophetic utterances, but test them. Retain what is good, and let's see if this is real. John is entering into this saying, look, the world doesn't believe in this light. The world opposes this light, so we're going to have court. And I'm going to show you with testimony and witnesses that this is real. You can test it if you want to because this is legitimate. Yeah, and I love that he sets it up that way, and there's this dichotomy of the false light and the true light. Um, yeah, but that's the way he sets up the gospel. So there's John introduced. We jump forward in the prologue, and you actually get to the actual testimony itself. You get the the narrative, the 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 story, and it begins by saying, "And this is the testimony of John." And there's this really interesting little narrative. So the prologue yeah, kind of ends, and which, you enter into the story.
1: Yeah, which is a little which is a little much for me because I like, it's a lot. It, it's actually. Um, messing with some of my concepts of prophecy and fulfillment
0: how so well
1: he he says uh the, the priestly writes from jerusalem came to ask him who are you he confessed he did not deny but confessed mm-hmm. i'm not the christ they ask him are you elijah yeah i'm not and like i this is the thing is that the the, the, the prophecy says this elijah is going to come before yes the great one and then you're like oh well, I mean, oh i see and he's he's performing the function and there's a certain sense in which he shares in the spirit of elijah but like elijah leisha's stuff is happening but like i don't know i guess i like the the types start to mess with me but then, then john is like saying no this is he's like saying
0: no i don't i, I there's something i want to kind of explore here okay for this end of the podcast I don't think John fully understood uh, John the Baptist. I don't think John the Baptist fully understood what he was, because later on Jesus calls him a lot. We know he's Elijah because Jesus calls him that. That's I don't right. think John gets it though. I don't think John the Baptist is is an heir or anything. I just don't think he sees the whole picture. And the narrative that John tells us it's right here shows us that. So, so first of all. You talked about this theme of threes a second ago. You were talking about three days, you know, and the the idea of the superlatives. Yeah. The testimony of John, if you read John carefully, takes place over the course of three days. Did you catch that? I didn't catch it. So, as it begins in verse 19, it says, This is the testimony of John. If you jump down to verse 29, which is right after our readings for this week. In verse 29, it says, the next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And then in verse 35, it says, the next next day, day, again, John was standing with two of the disciples, three days of testimony. That's actually what John sets up. There's a series of three. There's lots of threes in this. So that's the first one. And then when the Pharisees and the the people from the Pharisees, the Levites come up and they say, they ask him questions. John gives three negatives and one positive. If you read it carefully. There's three negative questions I dig and then you, a positive. Keep, keep it coming. So they say, who are you? Um, let's see. They said, it came to say, who are you? Uh, he didn't deny, but confess. So we have a positive, yeah. right? What is a confession? Again, another way of testimony. Mm-hmm. It's his witness. It's confession. So he says, um, I am not the Christ. It's ironic though. And, and scholars have pointed this out. What are the first two words that John begins with? I am. I am. The divine statement, right? Which will set you up for the rest of John's I am statements from Jesus. What? But he's setting you up. He is not, but it's showing that there is. Out of his mouth there, the words I am, it sets us up for the fact that there is a Christ. I'm not him, but there is an I am. And he's present among you. So he says, I am not the Christ. Who are you, Elijah? I am not, number two. Are you the prophet? Number three, no, By the way, I think it's interesting that it doesn't say, are you a prophet? It says, are you the prophet? Did you catch that? Oh, yeah. Look at that. Who is the prophet? Moses. Moses. Very good. He's referred to that way, and that's the Jewish understanding. So are you Elijah? No. Are you the Christ? No. Are you Moses? No. I'm none of these three. And then he gives a positive. I am The voice of one crying out in the desert makes straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So he does understand himself to be the fulfillment. He he doesn't maybe see the Elijah piece yet, which is fair. He's a human being. But he does see the Isaiah piece. He says, I'm called to do this. Later on, Jesus is going to say, hey, guess what? You're also called to do that. Or he's going to show that, look, this is actually what you already did. Oh, the, that there's layers to your ministry. Maybe he's thinking, okay, I'll be the Isaiah piece and somebody else is going to be the Elijah piece or something. Who knows? Yeah, we, It's fascinating to kind of enter into his mind. Well, that's the thing is that is
1: that I actually think sometimes in our lives, we actually really have no idea what we're doing. We're trying to be faithful
0: and we show up and only later does it actually come to light what we're doing. That, what you just said, is articulated right here. So I want to go slightly beyond where a reading leaves off. Okay. It's happening in Bethany, by the way, which is very important because Jesus' last public appearance, his last miracle happens in Bethany, the raising of Lazarus. So the Gospel of John begins in this place called Bethany. It ends in Bethany just before Jesus goes to his passion. So Bethany is important, the, the location. But right after that, in verse 29, what it says is this, the next day... John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what we say in Mass. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. He says, I saw the Spirit descend upon him from heaven and, I, and, it, and uh, it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized who was with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Now take that apart for a second. Here's John the Baptist. He just told, I, there's this line, a student asked me about this a few weeks ago, where John says, I did not know him. I did not know him. Does John the Baptist know Jesus? Yes. Of course he does. He's his cousin. I'm sure he's met before. Yeah. But here's what I think is going on to make sense of this cryptic thing that John says. John the Baptist understands he's got this mission to baptize, to prepare the way like Isaiah for the coming Messiah. He doesn't have a clue who that is. He just knows God has said, hey, start baptizing. When you see the spirit descend upon some guy, that's how you know. Yeah. And one day he's standing there. He sees his cousin, Jesus, showing him. He's like, oh, hey, Jesus, what's up? And then all of a sudden the sky is open. He's like, oh, man, it's you. I had no idea who it was going to be. Maybe he knew there was something different about his cousin because he was God. But he didn't see that. He had no idea. And then all of a sudden he's with these pro- these uh, followers. He's like, behold, That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I had no idea, but that's Him. Now I see it. I recognize it. My eyes are opened. Follow Him. But I, I, I just think it's fascinating because it shows you. Here's the pastoral application, I think. God calls us to do profound things without full understanding of what we're actually doing. God knows the end of our vocations. He knows what we're called to do, but he calls us into doing those things. He called you to be the pastor here, but there was no way you could see actually what that's going to look like. No. There's no way you can know what this is going to look like in a couple of years. Nope. But you show up and you do it and you move forward.
1: And there's moments that you're looking for, like the Lord will put something specific on your heart, but you don't know
0: what how it fits <clears> into the overall scheme of things. Right. And then there's these moments that we get when the pieces come together, and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's why this person was in my life. Yes. that's why this thing happened. Yeah, oh. exactly. Which is what's happening to John the Baptist, and maybe even at some point he's like, "Oh, shoot, maybe I'm Elisha." Yeah. When that's where,
1: like, if you want to know what my vision of heaven is, mm. it's it's having that that grasping of. All of the significance of mm. every moment of space and time, oh, for an et- in an eternal experience, of, wow, of the importance of all wow. things, and like, and that that's why, like, I think studying scripture, like, really mm. studying it, really like letting, like, like what we've done today, is getting into it, is is preparing our hearts for mm. the eternal moment. Yes, to say all things really are significant. We don't grasp our even ourselves, but we are called to fidelity and faithfulness. Um, The glory of the Lord pours forth. I mean, like that, like orthodoxy. That means right glory. (laughs) Um, Doxa. uh, doxa. So ortho. So it means right. So when we talk about orthodoxy, it means giving glory rightly, and like that's where like that's the whole preparation of our lives is to do that because. Um if, if we're doing that, like John the Baptist, he's like, No, that's not me. I like cause mm. he's like cause he's a dude. Yeah. He's sinful. Right. Like right. He, he, you know, like I'm right. I'm sure that but then all but he was faithful yes. in in his life and yes. and because of it, then he get got to image God so profoundly. Yes. And the plan of salvation so profoundly that we are we rejoice at his birth, at his at his leaping in the womb of Elizabeth and like all the goods, man.
0: Yeah, all the goods. <laughs> That's it. Hoo-ha. And that's it for us as well, I suppose.
1: I know. I just, I really like at the end of these, I just like don't want to stop because no. I just have been enjoying talking about this so much.
0: But we should because everyone's sitting in their driveway and they want to go into dinner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, look us up on Facebook. Uh, send us an
0: email. Send us your shout outs. Uh, Do it. Uh, All right. We'll see you then, everybody. Have a great today, Sunday. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.